I know you've been taking copious notes. Um, yeah, I am. I am sorting through. So some of my notes, I wish I, I have. I have. I have like a, a, a sloppy note taking practice sometimes, and it's something I'm working to correct. It's like a huge flaw because no judgment. Oh my! Oh my, oh my God! I have. I have some notes that I, I'm reading them now, and I'm like, I wish I know, or I wish I could know what the fuck I was meaning when I wrote this. <laughs> what What is it that you've written that you are trying to desperately decode? Um, I I have. Okay, so, so there's there's a one line note that says all it says is this is super relevant. I should bring this up. Super spooky, babe? Question mark. Open parentheses. Emma Goldman. Close parentheses. <laughs> and I don't know why I wrote that. Um, I mean, Emma Goldman. Yes, a super yeah. spooky, babe. That's a fact. Sure, that is true. No, no. But I wish here. I had something smarter to say. <laughs> I'm sure in the moment I had some insight, but it's it's gone now. <laughs> Greetings, friends of the great beyond. This is your ghost, I mean host, ready to take you behind the veil of terror and leftist critique. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. Do you want to do it or shall I do it? Um, I'll take it away. We'll go from there. Yeah, we'll go. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of the Horror Vanguard. I'm Ash. I said my name correct this time, so things are going to be great today. With me, as always, is the one, the only, the Lit Crit guy. Take it away, John. Hey, episode six. Getting close to double figures. Right? This is this is ridiculous. We already have six episodes. Uh, six gold episodes. Six well. of the best episodes of any podcast that has ever been released. <laughs> I, I think. I think that was the review of us that was recently posted by an unnamed but prominent media figure. Uh, yeah. I. I really. Is that, <laughs> I. I mean, for a second, I was like, "That's obviously a lie," and That's, then that is obviously a lie <laughs> because you sounded so sincere and committed to the bit. I just this I had a moment of doubt there, so I'm just trying to think. I was trying to think: Are there any high-profile media figures who listen to the Horror Vanguard? Oh, uh, if, if you if you're out there, please like retweet us. What the hell are you doing, <laughs> listening to us and not retweeting? If you're like Guillermo del Rude. Toro or someone, <laughs> uh, actually, uh, if you if you know of any high-profile uh, figures um, in in the horror and uh, gothic field that you haven't yet sent horror vanguard to what are you doing if, if let's get guillaume del toro to listen to the horror vanguard and then we can stop making this podcast because we will have peaked officially i, I don't think i could ever recover from that that would be like the no, coolest no, thing coolest I, I would thing just ever. fan out and do oblivion uh but what are we what are we doing today ash what are we doing just yet no uh what are we doing today what are we talking about we are talking about uh, the one of the, one of the greatest uh, women in horror. We are talking about Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, horror icon, one of the greatest right. of all time, uh, the true original Mistress of the Dark herself. Yeah, an incredibly important figure for horror as not just an artistic mode, but as a cultural force. Yeah, completely. There were there were horror hosts both before and after Elvira, but I think it's it's no stretch of the imagination to say that Elvira has been the most uh, critically and commercially successful of the horror hosts. Yeah, there have been Elvira films, which one of which we're talking about today. There have been she appears in video games. Yeah. I spent I spent a little bit of time on the on elvira's wikipedia page and it was an education uh there are, uh, there are elvira comic books yeah uh it's I, have, kinda, I have one of the elvira novels th there are elvira novels this is amazing yep yep she she moves in uh next door to a vampire great that's, love, that's, love that's it. the one love, novel love, i've got love everything about it uh that's one of the things i really i really really uh love about her um, is that she's incredibly funny, right? Like she never takes horror too seriously. There's a kind of real joy in all, like in 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 the aesthetics, in the one-liners, in the puns, mm -hmm. uh, 
it's it's so good it's so good because horror can so like especially now that we're in the kind of like golden age of horror you know the horror revival where it's like it's it's now it's considered worthy it's considered like uh, a form that that possesses a certain cultural capital it's so it's so good that elvira just has such she has such fun every time she's on screen Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah i i I totally i totally agree with that i I think we're, we're we're in the midst of like a very specific kind of horror revival where I almost feel that we're verging on not so much a new heyday of like art horror, but a, a, a like um to be a little grim about this, I worry sometimes that we're verging on like horror being co-opted by the Academy and, yeah, and horror totally. as a new corporate art aesthetic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because here's, here's the thing. All horror is art. Mm-hmm. It's just it's facts. just an art, facts just in the an, case. It's just it's just art that certain cultural gatekeepers don't take seriously and don't and don't respect. Right? Every every terrible like die you zombie bastards is an art piece. It is it is a stupid splattery art piece, but it and, is art all the same. And we will not be taking questions on this issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't, yeah, do as, not, as as per our previous tweet, all horror or all movies are horror movies. No and, questions uh, at this time. <laughs> yes. Uh, hey, thank you for attending uh, our press can, conference. Yeah, can you elaborate on that? No. No. <laughs> yeah. In, in, oh my god. In, in in the in the words of uh, David Lynch, no. No. <laughs> you 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 deal with the truth that we give you. Right. Um, and I think this absolutely applies. This this combination of like joy and and the ability to mock ourselves. And producing something that should rightly be considered uh, horror arts cinema is today's film, mm-hmm. which is 1988's classic piece of cinema, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Cue, cue lightning sound effect and maybe like a witch <laughs> cow. <laughs> um, so, I believe this was, this was, was this the debut feature? Yeah, this was this was the first official Elvira movie. The second one, I don't know the year it was released, but it's Elvira's Haunted Hills or something like that. Hey, hey, if you, <laughs> hey. Do, do you get it? <laughs> uh, and for those who have not seen this this classic of genre cinema, ask what is what is the premise and the setup of uh, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark? So Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, picks up. Pretty much where Elvira's previous career leaves off. Elvira, um, as as the character, was a horror, like a local horror TV hostess. She would host these horrible horror movies and take jabs at them. And this movie picks up uh, right there. She's working at some just local access TV station doing her horror host routine. It's out in California, I yes. think. Yes. And uh, but she she has aspirations. She has dreams of doing a Las Vegas floor show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as she, so, as so many of us do, I think all of us do. I would love to do a Las Vegas floor show. I I mean, like I can't think of anything good enough that people would actually want to see, but it would be fun to do. <laughs> <laughs> just you next to Britney. <laughs> right, yeah, that's the whole thing. I'm just kind of like standing there. I, I I want you to have a Vegas residency, and I want that maybe more than anything else I've ever wanted in my life. <laughs> she wants is has got dreams of this Vegas uh, floor show. Um, there is a, a horror movie that she finishes introing. It sucks, and she says that it does repeatedly. <laughs> uh, and then she has to deal with the station's brand new owner, right? Yes. Uh and maybe you could describe this character, Ash. Yeah, so Avira uh meets her new station manager and to 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 kind of like describe describe the essence of this man is when I hear the name of a of a Republican candidate or or like government official, but I haven't seen their photo yet, this is like the default guy my brain immediately thinks of. <laughs> like yep, like okay. he he is like you know, fake cowboy, middle managing tyrant, Republican incarnate. Yep, he's he's essentially the Texas oilman from The Simpsons. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's basically what he is. Uh, and 
yeah, so so he he sexually assaults Elvira. And and Elvira, Elvira sticks it to him and says she's not going to take this anymore and quits the station. Yep. And right too. In in a very a very timely twist that that Elvira herself notes is very timely. She receives a letter letting her know that she has inherited a fortune from her great aunt who dun, dun, lives dun. in the mythical land of Massachusetts. Uh, and then then we have this amazing uh, cross country montage. <laughs> which which because uh obviously the easiest i i don't know much about uh american geography ash maybe you can correct me on this yeah but uh from what i've learned from this film the easiest way to get from california to massachusetts is just to drive uh and it doesn't take very much time it takes the length of one song <laughs> to get for, to get there yeah it's about, long... it's about a three minute drive to, to uh, get from coast to coast it's not very far yeah, yeah, and along the way she meets a sleazy gas uh, station attendant um, who uh, manages to hilariously blow himself up. <laughs> uh, there is a, a there's a hitchhiker that it's implied that she murders because he jumps out of he jumps out of her car and, and runs out of frame, and all you, all you see is her going, "Hey, you forgot your axe!" And she just throws it, and there's a scream, and she just winces and then drives off. <laughs> right, and it's important to note that that Elvira is also so. So the way I read this, this, this montage, is the the inciting incident is is her sticking it to the em- employer who assaults her, and then she like. Like a like a like a Johnny Appleseed figure almost travels across the land doing doing these honest good deeds. Yep, absolutely. And, and Elvira is is a force of righteous violence. Like everywhere she goes, these greasy, uh, lecherous, abusive men meet their fate. Yep. You know, not yep. not not so much directly by her hands, but just being near her being just radiates righteous justice. Yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, these violent, lazy, lecherous creeps are all blown up or mutilated somehow. Yep, and they they deserve it because obviously oh, yeah, the, the, the the thing about Elvira is the iconic appearance. Mm-hmm. the The aesthetic is on point. There is the the big black beehive hair. There is the plunging neckline uh, of the dress. There is, uh, and this is what this is what these kind of creepy lecherous guys are uh, are trying to take advantage of. That because she she uh, wears certain things and she she looks a certain way, they think that there's a kind of entitlement, the typical male entitlement. Mm-hmm. So yeah, her violence is completely uh, righteous and justified. And you go, yeah, they deserve it. <laughs> that's that's what you get. That's what you get for it, by assuming that this kind of misogynistic possession of, of a woman's body because she dresses a certain way. This is a hundred percent what you deserve. And and um, one one thing one thing I want to talk about uh, very specifically in the the Elvira iconography that sometimes gets a little overlooked uh, when we, when we talk about the aesthetic and and kind of like the visual significance of Elvira's costume design is her dagger. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So, so Elvira, Elvira wears, um, and, and it's acknowledged that that it is a prop dagger. It's not just a, a prop dagger that's depicting a real dagger. She's wearing a prop dagger. Yeah. And um, but but the way the way it's situated on her costume, right, is oh, yeah. is, is she wears it uh, like like you know the dagger uh, uh, traditionally in in kind of a lot of like literature and film, you know, like like any kind of knife or sword is read phallically, right? Yeah. But um, it it points the way she wears it on her right side. It points away from from her crotch, like like it's it's diverting the attention that the typical phallic object would be seeking, right? Right. But it's it's also worn in a position ready to be drawn. You know, yeah, like yeah. like that is how you would wear a dagger to draw it and use it as a weapon. Yeah. And 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 like on a really metaphorical level level, I feel like the dagger is undersold as kind of like this great symbolic essence of Elvira, this this weaponized, self uh possessed and agential sexuality. And and a theatrical one as well. Yeah, right? yeah, and, and a, a spooky over the top uh, um almost self-deprecating camp. camp, that's the word. Like 
almost uh, and and if it is a parody if it is if it is it is not it's nothing but affectionate right yes yeah i i Parody for me like, is always kind of like because when you say horror parody, the first thing that pops to mind are those um, uh, scary movies, scary movies, uh, and and those like you know besides just being incredibly crass and really offensive to go for their jokes, they don't really like horror. No, not at all. But this this film, like she is never the butt of the joke mm-hmm. or or. She's in on the joke all the time, uh, and it's a film that really loves horror, really loves like crappy B movie horror films, and it has such glorious kind of fun just reveling in all of the tropes and all of the uh, theatricality of it, and all of the yeah. all of the the self. There's a very it's very sly the, the sense of humor throughout this that is I think tied up in in the sexuality of Elvira's persona. Is very is very sly and kind of warm and playful, but also really very funny. Yeah, absolutely. It's also it's also really dedicated to horror as a culture and horror as like a community. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot in this movie that if, if you kind of just know who Elvira is through the cultural zeitgeist and you watch this film, you'll get a lot of the jokes and you'll find a lot of it enjoyable. But there's so much that goes over your head if you're not like knee deep in horror. Yeah, yeah. Like especially like like this film. This film like plays like like an American pastiche homage to Hammer. Yes. Yeah. I actually think that was one of the big influences on it, as I think mm-hmm. British Hammer horror films from like post-war to the end of the sixties. Yeah. You know that oh, bright color, that bright color palette, the kind of yes. slightly slightly stagey nature of 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 the. Uh, cinematography slightly um yeah yeah uh, so after the after her drive she arrives in the small town in massachusetts um which is and she she drives into town in this in this all black convertible with like that's covered in like chrome and it's covered in like ornate spikes and it's like this gothic hearse on four wheels right and it breaks down in the middle of town like spectacularly and you know she's kind of wreathed in smoke coming off the engine and there's all of these sort of very well-to-do proper uh white people going what is this what is this strange outsider who has arrived to, (laughs) to disturb her us with with their with their taste in in clothes and their their spectacular physique and their and their ability to you know seemingly never suffer any consequences <laughs> uh and so then we find out that she has inherited her great aunt's house her great aunt's dog who is amazingly called algonquin um and of course her great aunt's infamous cookbook Dun dun uh, dun! And this is this is your standard gothic plotline. Yeah, of course. You know, like, this, this, this plotline is literally hundreds of years old. That like a long lost relative, you know, and now you've inherited the ancient family mansion. Yeah, of course. I mean, this goes all the way back to Anne Radcliffe. Oh yeah. Um, but but twist. There is what? in 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 the fine tradition of all good gothic stories, there is a villainous uncle. A villainous mm-hmm. great uncle, Vincent uh, Talbot, which is a wonderful uh, Uncle Vinny, as right. as he gets re- referred to, which quite obviously massively annoys him. <laughs> right? I love I love how he is he is a villain right out of a Hammer horror movie. He He's, ha- he all but twirls his mustaches. Right? Yeah. He 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 is a, a you know he's got the cane. He is he is so unbearably Hammer. Yep. Yeah, and then yeah. Elvira just just pulls the rug right out from under him with that my cousin or my cousin Vinny <laughs> <laughs> with that Uncle Vinny line, uh, and so uh, Uncle Uncle Vincent, named presumably for the legend of British horror Vincent Price, um, desperately wants to get his hands on the recipe book for reasons which don't seem to be immediately clear. Uh, then there is then then hijinks in in classic american sitcom uh style hijinks <laughs> ensue when this strange outsider moves into this very buttoned up 
very repressed and conservative town. There is a, an an amazing homage to Flashdance. Yes, <laughs> in in here there is um, a matinee screening uh, of something to do with ducks, uh, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. She manages to get a job hosting hosting a late night showing of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, um, which is a, is an amazing film. Right, it's it's, ge- it's genuinely it is a incredible. And then, then there is a twist uh, again, and we find out the true nature of the recipe book. Uh, do you want to pick it up from here? Yeah, yeah. So basically, the the rest of the plot hinges on the fact that the recipe book isn't a normal recipe book; it's a recipe book of spells. It's a spell book. El- Elvira, as it turns out, is the descendant of an ancient line of powerful witches. Yep, and they are at war with Vincent Talbot over over this book because whoever holds this book has access to to untold magical powers. Uh, and do we want to? Can you explain how we find out that this is not a recipe book but is actually a spell book? Because the way that we find out is genuinely amazing. <laughs> so so Elvira Elvira is attempting to seduce uh, the local town hunk, and she she goes to cook him uh just a casserole out of this book <laughs> which is a great seduction method <laughs> which i mean you know if somebody made me a good casserole it would work so elvira knows <laughs> let's, what's up let's, let's be real <laughs> it would 100 percent work right and um in, instead of making a casserole it makes like this hideous snake demon made out of like four week old chili <laughs> is how i would describe it and then they 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 kill it by stuffing it down <clears throat> the garbage disposal in the sink uh yep um and then they re- they find out that, that that really it's a book of spells the next day i think that the town's um what is it the the town's morality committee um decides the morality a, club the morality club that's it they led by uh, chastity. The Ch- <laughs> Ch- it's Chastity Pariah. Chastity Pariah, the most loaded been... possible character name, um, and uh, led by Chastity Pariah. And they've already clashed with Elvira. They they think of her as a woman of easy virtue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Elvira takes another casserole um, to the to the potluck as a way of trying to get revenge. Uh, but instead, it, 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 this incredible incredible scene and she is managed she makes a mistake with the spell and instead of summoning a monster uh it just gets them all really horny and yep. so the, ta- the town's morality club like starts stripping off in the park and enjoying some pleasurable time together um and after this once they've all uh recovered and um have uh managed to suppress the libidinal urges that elvira liberates they decide to literally burn her as a witch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This entire time, uh, uh, Uncle Vinny has been uh, trying to get the book from Elvira. And originally, Elvira is just going to sell it to him because she doesn't care about some dumb cookbook. She needs money to go um, do her show in Vegas. But yep. when she finds out it's magical, she she realizes she probably shouldn't sell it. It's probably got more value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but um, um, Uncle Uncle Vinny digs through uh, the the archives, the town archives, and finds finds an old town law from the Puritan days that allows him to execute witches. Yep. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he he presents it to the morality club, and they're like, "Oh, well, good, good. We have a situation." Uh, and there's this. It's it's actually quite a dark moment in the film where um, Elvira has been arrested with with Algonquin, mm-hmm. and she looks and sees that they're setting up two pyres. Yeah, and just looks back back at Algonquin and is like, "Yeah, sorry, you too." <laughs> <laughs> um, and then she manages to escape, um, and there is a final confrontation with Vinny, with Uncle Vinny, who. Uh, becomes this sort of demonic creature yeah yeah um, he 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 begins as as he as he like ingests the evil power his his humanity kind kind of kind of falls off of him and reveals his true nature uh the evil is defeated um which includes some details that I'm sure we'll get back to in the course of the the conversation oh, there are details uh there are some 
just uh, incredible moments in the final third. <laughs> <laughs> and it ends with a lavish musical number in Las Vegas as Elvira has inherited not just her, her great aunt's money, but all of her uncle's money. And she uses that to finance her incredible, spectacular show in Vegas. And that is how we leave her ensconced in her Vegas residency. Um, so where should we start, man? Where should we, where should we pick this up from? Um, so I kind of want to situate all of this in the character of Elvira and kind of how she's depicted. And, it, and it's like, it's, it's an interesting to me because it's a little paradoxical because Elvira's costume would would typically signify like this luxuriant wealth right she wears this like like a uh, revealing antiquated gossamer gown right that's not that's not an outfit you would wear if you have like a nine to five at the steel mill yeah think the classic morticia adams gown but with a dangerously plunging neckline yeah and and so so a garb like that like you know Morticia Adams was an upper class woman like like the the Adams family has enough money that that Gomez makes it a point to try and lose as much as he can in the stock market and it never <laughs> it never actually affects how wealthy they really are so he can lose yeah. an infinite sum it doesn't matter literally uh, Scrooge McDuck levels of wealth right and and the outfit the outfit calls back to to the history of the Gothic and the history of Gothic literature which is kind of almost universally with some exceptions especially in the gothic blue books uh focused on upper class women and yeah. and either either women of nobility or women with upper class mobility yeah and so yeah. so her while her garb is calling back to all of these things um she herself is is a working class girl right? yeah absolutely she, she's a precariously employed actress doing doing what she can to scrape by while she's she's working towards these higher goals for her and putting uh, up with with a, a lecherous uh, misogynist as her boss yeah that she eventually in a very cathartic moment stamps on his foot and tells him to do one because <laughs> i could but she's got principles right she's she's right? she's not she doesn't she doesn't put up with anything just because you know, she can't afford to. She she walks out the door. One one thing one thing that I want to consider is how Elvira appreciates and views wealth. Right? Like from from this initial seat of the working class perspective of Elvira. Right? Um it's like she has the, there's a sequence in the film where she has like a daydream fantasy about inheriting the money and it's framed within the dialogue of a game show <laughs> yeah this, that, this moment is amazing yeah it's it's, it's fan, fan, fantastic and the game show host is like oh see what you've won and Elvira's won like all of these riches but they're all like very cl cliched because it's like yes first you'll be leaving in your fabulous sailboat mm -hmm. and you won't be struggling with car repairs anymore because here's a new jeep and then mm -hmm. finally, finally, they just kind of strip away the pretense and they go, and most importantly, <laughs> money, lots and lots of money. <laughs> and, and I think that like, I love that perception of, of kind of like the accrual of wealth that's depicted in here, right? Yeah, yeah. Because it speaks to one uh, as, as like a, as a, as a darker note, it speaks to the fact that like capitalism occults how it actually accrues this money. Yeah. Right. In, in in reality, nobody just just lucks into all of this cash. And in, in reality, this this kind of money only exists because you've exploited and destroyed the lives out of countless people beneath you in the social ladder. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but but there is nevertheless this popular attitude that like oh like okay one day I will get all of that money too, just like everybody else who just kind of got it one day. I'll also just get it one day. Yeah. But on a more positive attitude. Um, Elvira's appreciation of this wealth is is just the means to the ends, right? And this is a very leftist appre appreciation of the use value and accrual of wealth. Yeah, right? leftists don't want like like we don't want a, a seventy percent marginal tax rate on billionaires, so that like you know we can you know fill the DSA coffers or something. Like, we want that wealth so we can build social programs. Like, the wealth is just a means to the ends of a better society. 
Yeah. And that is Elvira's appreciation of this wealth. She doesn't want this wealth to to sit on a mountain of gold and hoard it like some Tolkienian dragon. She wants this wealth because with it, she can fund her art and she can go on to create something of value for the community. Yeah, totally. And it's also worth pointing out that like the game show framing is really important because, mm-hmm. you know, th- that kind of mediated culturally distributed form of the game show is a moment where it's okay for like working class people to celebrate what they have mm-hmm. right you go well yeah yeah it's because you got it on a game show but also it sort of reveals that really what we actually need is most importantly like we don't need to win the sailboat what we need most importantly is we need the cold hard cash right and like like i think another positive aspect about this is that like Elvira's fantasy for winning wealth and like a lot of the people I've known and I do know now like none of us none of us like um fantasize and be like oh wouldn't it be great if I could exploit slave labor in the global south and like run a blood mine and have a tech startup that disrupts like I don't know insulin and like no no one has like like because that's how money is actually accrued that's how billionaires yeah. actually get their money and then that's not the popular fantasy because no outside of those billionaires no one has like a heart dark enough to be that evil yeah what we actually want is we 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 like the the it's literally a, you know a phantasm it's a it's a fantastic dream that mm-hmm. actually will be liberated from the from the cuz we cuz we know where the money comes from yeah. right wouldn't it be but everyone's had that moment where you go wouldn't it be amazing if like the suitcase just appeared next to you you know money that could do so much for you that was disconnected that was liberated from the networks of oppression and violence and and domination which produce it and it's and it's also it's so honest too right yeah like like elvira wants this money to fix her immediate material condition right she she wants this money to fix her car which although it's the most badass car on the planet is also kind of a junker (laughs) yeah yeah it's just falling to bits but but the look is on and and money like like for so many of us like like it just it's just represents security like everybody everybody wants money because with money you get health care with money you get food with money you get shelter and because that's how the system is currently rigged yeah and if you can get that money in a way that that is not connected to you know the 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 brutality of wealth extraction mm-hmm. you know then maybe then all the better yeah all the better if only what a dream that would be right yeah and and, and that's and both the dream sequence and and the whole like oh this ancient relative you completely forgot about is letting you inherit millions of dollars line yeah, we've all, we'll speak we've to all, that we've we've all joked about you know oh wouldn't it be amazing if i had like a distant uncle who and one day you get the solicitor's the lawyer's letter that suddenly informs you that you've you've been freed the right. daily gr- grinding anxiety of how do you survive and you go well what would i do with it and in, El- in elvira's case what she would do is she would make art mm-hmm. yeah so absolutely. We arri- she arrives in this town um and she 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 kind of goes right how do i <laughs> you know where she basically turns up with just like a big sack with a dollar sign printed <laughs> on it and just like fill her up right. uh, and and instead Instead, she gets like a house that looks like it would. It was also used by Barry Sonnenfeld in making the Adams Family. Yeah, it, it <laughs> like, is the Adams Family home, uh, which she describes as as a dump. Um, it's old. It's antiquated. It's falling apart. Which is kind of which is a little bit strange for someone whose persona is so uh, self consciously retro. But it's it's a dump not because it's old, but because it's not fun. Yeah, and that that I think is, is so important about Elvira's character and her appreciation because yes. she she inherits the perfect spooky mansion. It's yeah. full of cobwebs and and furniture draped in gossamer cloth and and the, and the creaking floorboards, right? And the and the exterior is is just grim and imposing, and it's not fun. No, it's, no but it's fun. not fun. It has no glamour. It has no it has no sex appeal. Right, and so so there's there's this whole sequence where she invites over all all of the local teenagers. Uh, this is later <laughs> later in the film to come to come help her fix up her house. 
because she's in, she, a class, in a classic montage moment again right and because at this point in the film if i was trying to sell the home as a way to make money to fund her um show in vegas because as it turns out uh her aunt uh didn't have a, a lot of uh liquid cash to give her her aunt just so had she, the mansion in the book yeah yeah so she Noth- literally nothing else of value right yeah she, she's attempting to convert some real estate at this point but she needs to uh she's, she's trying to like flip that house pretty much it's elvira property brothers right <laughs> Um, so, so the kid, the local town kids come over with all the supplies they've scrounged together to, to fix up the old, uh, uh, Talbot mansion and, um, fix up the old Talbot place. And at, at the, at the end of the montage, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of like, 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 like see, see, see this wide shot of the house and it is just like gaudy painted in a bunch of random colors <laughs> by, by teens who didn't know what they were doing using whatever supplies they could scrounge together. And like you see, you see a look of shock hit Elvira's face, and then she's like, "Oh, I love it! It's amazing!" <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And there are a couple of things in that little sequence which are really important, which is that that what they do to the house is basically the best definition of the Elvira character and mm-hmm. the persona, which is like the smashing together of like austere, quite uh, repressive and stern, gothic with the kind of camp fun and style and and aesthetic play of like modern horror yeah it's taking it's it's taking the haunted mansion and putting it into a b-movie and it's so good (laughs) so so something so something related to to the mansion uh uh, uh, tangentially but the mansion is a good setup for this that i do want to talk about is just how kind of the the morality club puritanical mindset causes people to go insane yes yes um, one one of my favorite examples of that in this film are the so before they paint the mansion when elvira first moves into town and and um uh as the plot line goes the teens eventually get to know her and find out she's she's really good she's a really good person and and they uh effectively join up on elvira's side before yeah, that yeah. happens, though, she's kind of this mysterious sexual object in town. Yeah, and three she of- ri- she arrives, and or like the local the local teenage boys are sort of just entranced. Yes, they're just mesmerized because you know, like they live in a town that's ran by the morality club. <laughs> yeah. And so three three of these boys uh, uh, sneak sneak up the the ledge of Elvira's uh, mansion. And like, like this is absolutely ludicrous because there's a thunderstorm and they're free climbing the side of a gothic mansion to try and sneak a peek at Elvira, you know, late at night. Great job, boys. Clearly, clearly doing the clear thinking there. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the clear thinking of, of their brains being absolutely annihilated by this like patriarchal Puritan value where we should taboo everything sexualized and everything sexual to, to the point where these like the 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 boys will be boys moment in in this movie is is through three chains falling off of the side of a gothic mansion in a thunderstorm <laughs> which i think is is a, is a great way of kind of lambasting that moment because there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of like like uh, elvira elvira as a character is, is kind of like 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 would be in lesser hands the prime bait for someone doing a lot of boys will be boys kind of humor yeah yeah and and I really like that sequence as a way to it, it kind it kind of um, subverts is probably a, a good word for it, but but it bends it bends the appreciation of it to be like it's it's not okay what they're doing, and it's yeah. absolutely ludicrous that so they've to come to, to a point where they're lengths, doing this. Yeah, to go to these lengths because this place is so libidinally restrictive, mm-hmm. so sexually repressed that. Uh, they're, they're climbing up the side of a building in the middle of a lightning storm. <laughs> uh, but then they do go over and help her fix up her place. Yeah, eventually, eventually they learn that Elvira is a person. Yeah, with with agency and and not just someone to to sexually assault. And they Precisely. join up with her and her liberatory efforts against the uh, conservative and oppressive nature of the town in which they are raised. But yeah, that's. I think sexuality is such an important part to to the film, and shows the the kind of consensual, agential aspect of Elvira's character, right? Because she's she's in on it. She knows why all of these teenagers have turned up. 
Oh, oh yeah. El- Elvira is making pr- pretty much constantly. She's always making lewd jokes and puns. <laughs> like she, uh, in- she is in on the joke that is her character. Yeah, a hundred percent. And but that joke is never sort of disrespectful, right? Uh, and, and, and this is like, this is why she's she's such a threat, right? Because she yes. she she demonstrates the ways in which. Um, sex appeal and fun and kind of glamour and that inflected through her kind of uh classic horror aesthetics is a very free place it's a place of of uh genuine expression yeah of 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 connection and and kind of like 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 the dagger she wears you know like elvira is a very like sex positive figure right like she, she wears her sexuality openly and her her character is kind of this you know explicit acknowledgement that like by the very act of human reproduction every moment is sexual, and and Elvira, yeah. Elvira makes this explicit by being sexual almost every moment and, and forcing us to kind of confront what we would otherwise hide away. But and, this is but this is this is exactly the reason why she's such a threat. Why oh yeah. why they why they and and you know that. It goes back to a very long discourse about uh, what men thought of women that were labelled as witches. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that sexual liberation, the dancing naked in the forest, uh, the kind of misogyny that was used as justification for male violence against yeah. women is because that that sexual power is is liberatory and and quite dangerous to some. You know, she's a threat to this to this repressed uh, mm-hmm. chastity pariah. And as, as um, a little and, a little teaser so, for what we're covering in this month's book club, uh, you know, Sylvia Federici was writing about this in Counterplanning from the Kitchen, right? That mm-hmm, a lot of yeah. a lot of the power that has been that is in tra- traditionally in the sphere of women is something that is also outside of the sphere of capital. Yes. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Which makes it deeply threatening on a social level because it's it's not be- something that can be so easily chained into that system. Yeah, because those teenagers all volunteer. They don't work. Yeah, yeah. For her. It's 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 she, not, not it's not she, a capitalist she, exchange. It's a communal one. No. Yeah, totally. Um and and then they drop they make the metaphor explicit because they literally try and burn her as a witch. Yeah. You know, all of that talk of like, oh, she's a woman of loose morals is just code for she's she's a woman with power. Mm-hmm. And with a power that can't be quantified or contained or limited by the structures of of this conservative, patriarchal, moralistic, repressive system that you force all of these young people to live in, right? And I think, um, like, oh, we'll, we'll get to, we'll maybe get to this the film that's made, maybe this film that's made in the nineteen eighties is commenting on nineteen eighties conservatism and uh, its puritanical. Uh, pushing of family values um no that, maybe that, that's unlikely maybe. i don't know that's unlikely right <laughs> that's unlikely john these are uh, horror uh, movies they don't have any social commentary and and of course it, it underscores that scene in the park with the morality club when they when they because they all look about the right age to have been like baby boomers who came of age during the radical 60s mm-hmm. you know and suddenly they're all out in nature again stripping their clothes off right uh, and it's like, do you remember? <laughs> right. It's like I, 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 watching that sequence. I wonder how many of them like, 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 like you're saying. They're like, hey, remember, remember when we were in our twenties and we cut loose? But also, <laughs> exactly. How many of them were were already deeply indoctrinated into this like puritanical American morality, and they yeah. they watched these liberatory efforts of the '60s from the outside. And 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 so, somewhere inside their soul, they were like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if I could be free of these shackles? And they've been totally. they've been dragging that weight for the last sixty years. I mean, like back in the back in the thirties and forties, Wilhelm Reich was was writing and researching about uh, both sexual and political liberation, and the the fact that those two things are deeply connected. That those two things are kind of they there is there is only one economy there is only one libidinal and capitalistic economy those two things inform one another and so if you're going to have kind of political conservatism that will inevitably lead to sexual repression and and uh the subjugation of desire Mm -hmm. and so it's an amazing moment that elvira manages to liberate their desires uh in a 
moment of revenge which backfires right <laughs> and they're also they're also they're also sort of shame-faced afterwards and it's mm-hmm. like well there you go the, they they've they bought in so much that they can't even fully cut loose besides besides the one uh very old man <laughs> who, who, who's who's kind of like he, he's not totally on board yet but he, yeah, yeah. he's the first one of them to start to be like well, you know, it really wasn't the worst thing that's happened to us. <laughs> We've lived through worse. I mean, reminds me of when I was young. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the thing. I, I really love it when horror, horror movies do this, when they when they set up a kind of metaphoric reading and then just go, nope, the metaphor is also completely real. Yeah. <laughs> Where they go, ah, look, maybe this can be a sort of figure of, of how uh, the sexual power and... and non-capitalistic economies of of uh a woman can threaten this kind of patriarchal order but also she's literally a witch <laughs> <laughs> so i love it when horror movies do that where it's like uh it's like with rosemary's baby for example where you go ah maybe this is a film that's about the kind of paranoia of suburbia but they're also satanists literally <laughs> satanists <laughs> uh and then they try and burn her as a witch um which is like i say genuinely i think the most sincerely terrifying moment in the film yeah yeah and, and especially like like how into it the town is right they, oh, they, yeah, have, they have so ch- thoroughly repressed all of their perfectly natural human desires that that this like font of like fascist violence is is the only acceptable way for them to feel anything anymore this is exactly what wilhelm reich saw happening mm-hmm. in in the 30s and 40s in germany that the, the kind of sexual repression Awesome desire finds an outlet. You know, Chastity Pariah's filmed going, we should have one of these every year. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um oh my god, I'm I'm blanking on her name. Give me a second. Patty. Yeah, 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 Patty. Patty Patty Elvira's uh uh I, I guess romantic rival. Nemesis? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I- inverse, I think, is a good way. Like like she is the uh antithesis to Elvira. <laughs> Yeah, she she's blonde and always wears uh, white. Elvira has dark hair and always wears black. Right, El- Elvira is is open and honest with her real uh, physical sexuality, whereas Patty fakes hers and and kind of creates this false impression. Yeah, uh, Patty stuffs. Yes, that's true. Yeah, that, that is that is the more direct way to put what I was trying to be academic <laughs> about. Yes. <laughs> Whereas, whereas we can tell that Elvira does not and has no need to. Right, yeah, she she does not require these things. <laughs> but I think that's a good. They they are a a, a binary uh, inverse relationship mm-hmm. between the two. And Patty's so delighted to see Elvira threatened to get burned. Right, we we get we get the sequence where um it, it's it's this awesome play. You know the they're they're about to set fire to uh, to uh, the the burning of Elvira and Patty Patty runs to the front of the crowd and grabs the torch and she's like no this isn't right and for for a brief moment you're like oh okay like <laughs> the, the, these two characters are diametrically moment opposed of, uh, yeah but by solidarity being, by being diametrically <laughs> opposed they are nevertheless linked has Patty made a realization that in Elvira she sees who she wishes she was. Yeah, but then no. Absolutely. Patty's like, no, you got to light it in multiple spots, otherwise the fire's not going to catch burn right. Quicker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which is a, it's maybe one of the best timed jokes in the whole thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. The 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 timing on that one is just perfect. Um, but then she uses her witch powers and and summons a rainstorm, mm-hmm. and and then we get to the end. We get to our final climax. Uh, hmm. If you will, between Hey-o. the forces. <laughs> that's hey, that's the first one. That's, that's the first we have one gone, we've done. We've gone through this whole episode without making a lot of jokes. I feel proud. Uh, we have been very mature, but you've got to give me at least one. Um, the the climax, if you will, between the forces of of liberation, of aesthetic play, of camp, of gleeful wallowing in the macabre, which is Elvira against. The, the kind of patriarchal figurehead that is Vincent Talbot. <laughs> um, do you want to maybe talk about this a little bit? Yeah, 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 definitely. I think um, 
But back to like the the appraisals of of wealth and accumulations of power, like Vincent Talbot oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. is so like the classic like capitalist bad guy that shows up in these movies. He's rich. Yeah, he's, he funds the morality club. He's trying to buy his way into the demonic immortality. I mean, he's the logical uh, extension of like Mister Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. Yes, yeah, absolutely. He, he is Mister. <laughs> he is Mister Potter after a couple deals with demons. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because that's the classic Faustian bargain, mm-hmm. isn't it? The cl- it? Like, it isn't. Um, it isn't enough, right? That's the thing with capitalist accumulation. It'll never be enough. So what yeah. you want then is you don't just want wealth. You want you want status. You want and it's like literally everything. And then then it'll get into the occult where it's like you you want immortality. You want the power to change your appearance. You want. You know, and that's the kind of thing. You that, want a startup company uh, that drinks the blood of teenagers so you could live forever. Yeah, exactly. There's something obscene, mm-hmm. you know, in a psychoanalytic term about the 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 drive of the super rich because it's a consumption that'll never be satisfied. They'll never they will never, no matter how much we go, oh, they're job creators and oh, what about the local economy and oh, they'll never ever turn around and go ah yes we've we've extracted enough surplus right. value out of your labor i think we'll stop now they'll never do that they'll never do that because and he he doesn't because he desperately wants this book and so he offers her 50 dollars at first and then he offers her 500 dollars, mm-hmm. and then when because she exists outside of that capitalist economy then it gets violent and you know, i think that they, gets, there's the, a <clears throat> There's like there's like a spiritual and moral element to this too, because Elvira is a witch, and yep. uh, Vincent is um, uh, I don't know I don't know if they use any particular terminology in the film I can't remember off the top of my head but he's some, he's a he's a witch or some kind of warlock, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, but Vincent, like like any capitalists, he is not only obsessed with wealth but he equates this material gain with spiritual growth, right? Yes. Right. This this is the key to his corruption. This is why as he. Uh, gains power and he becomes his like final boss form at the end you know he he looks like the emperor from star wars he's all withered and and, like shooting lightning yeah (laughs) and like um elvira has a ring which she she has come to find out it has magic powers yep um and it can deflect his lightning right uh but at, at a point in this movie uh vincent steals it and, yep. and uh, get, gets the ring from Elvira. But as we learn, like, Elvira never needed the ring, right? She doesn't need this wealth for her spiritual growth, right? Like, wealth it, for Elvira is a means to an end. It's a means towards her art. It's a means to allow her to, to follow these things. And, like, I think Vincent ultimately loses because he, he fails that distinction and he wants wealth for wealth alone and not, not wealth for something truly en- enriching, like putting on a Vegas floor show. Yeah, absolutely. I've forgotten uh, until just now how how he gets the ring, and it's because she like throws out her hand to try and like yep. zap him with some lightning, and the ring goes flying off her hand and lands on Vincent's. Right. <laughs> so the film can't resist undercutting like that point with a very good sight gag. <laughs> right, and I think I think I think it's also interesting their costume changes there because you know like, like we've been saying like like Vincent becomes more more disgusting, more corrupted. You know he looks he looks more death like. And and Elvira like 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 ducks into a shop and comes out dressed as Rambo, yeah. <laughs> and so like El- Elvira is this camp and fun, you know, like like jab at American popular culture, and and Vincent is descending in, in, into this like monstrous being. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, as, as as Elvira becomes more powerful, she she just becomes more awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she pulls out a gun, a rocket launcher at one point. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. And um there are all of the classic horror movie moments, you know, she falls over in the graveyard mm-hmm. and the mist sort of, you know, she leans against the door and the and that and the evil hand comes through it and grabs her from behind. Yeah. And it's really this celebration of the kind of genre moves of horror, right? The kind of classic tricks of the game. Uh as well as like this very it's full of like very silly sight gags Mm -hmm. it's full of full of uh and and it's this and it's this kind of ultimate confrontation between these two diametrically opposed forces absolutely
so so um given everything that we've said mm-hmm. there is there is something that i know that you said that before we started recording that you definitely wanted to talk about um and i think we have been we have touched on this a, a little throughout our conversation but i think it is time to give it our full explicit attention i i I think it's time we dive in so what are we going to talk about we're we're, we're going to talk about a topic that is uh larger than life we are going to talk about the iconography of elvira's boobs okay and uh uh, john i want to i want to talk to you about a critical uh, intersectional materialist analysis of elvira's boobs yep this is what i'm here for this this is this is why our podcast exists this this is all we aim for. Right. So intersectional materialist materialist <laughs> analysis. Take it away, Ash. So where are we where where are we going with this? <laughs> I don't know. We are we're we're going right off the cliff edge here. <clears throat> uh, one thing that's worth pointing out though is the way this movie as a movie negotiates uh, Elvira's uh, sexuality and Elvira's body. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the the movie acknowledges very openly that Elvira is an intensely sexual figure, right? Mm-hmm. El- Elvira is both comically sexual. There there are a lot of like sight gags, like um, uh, towards the end when Elvira's in the cemetery, you know, she she encounters a chained gate and you know she tries <laughs> pushing it open with her hands and she can't do it. She can't climb over it, you know. But but then you know she 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 kind of just situates her boobs in in the middle of the gate and like. I don't know, flexes, flex, flexes her boobs and, and the gate, the gate, the chains shatter and burst open. Right. That's that, that is because that is a, that is a powerful cleavage. Yes. Yes. The, the, that, that cleavage cleaves the gate. One, one could accurately say. Yeah. It, I, there is a, there is a kind of comedic aspect to yeah. but I th- the I think sexuality I'm... of her as a figure, but it's not, like, it's like, like we've said, you know, it's always, she's always in on the joke and it's like, yes, absolutely this is this is not a puritanical or moralistic film right no it's an the, incredibly the, the guys, open film the guy it's very sex positive mm-hmm. i think the guys who 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 are the creepy lecherous misogynists <laughs> are not bad because of their sexual attraction they're bad because their sexual attraction is disrespectful and non-consensual yeah they're they're, they're bad because they do not have any appreciation of Elvira's boundaries? They're bad because they feel entitled to her, like Elvi- to her body, yeah, to to her Spe- body specifically, specifically yes. because of the way that she dresses. Mm-hmm. And the film makes it abundantly clear, repeatedly, that that is not only uh, that's just that's just wrong. That's right. Just, all, all of and, all of and, these men. And that's why. And that's why the kind of violence and humiliation that's often inflicted on them. Yes, the film yes, goes. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they. they, they it's not it. just violence that they earned this yeah. humiliation because they were, they were disrespectful. They, they ignored boundaries. They ignored um, her own agency, which is ever present. Uh, and they were, they were just gross dudes. Yeah, and I think, I think you make a really good point here that it's not the sexuality itself in and of itself that's the problem like you like like you get you get that amazing line where i forgot i forgot what happened immediately before this i so something fell on elvira's head or something like that but uh the the, the big the big like bur- the classic the classic line the classic line so so the, the big the big burly hunk dude that elvira is crushing on goes up to elvira and he's like oh no how's your head and elvira just looks at him kind of confused for a second she's like well i've never had any complaints <laughs> And it's just, it's just, it's just like that, that, that. That's humorous, but 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 also like like Elvira is is a fully realized agent of of her sexuality. Yeah, totally. Right, right. She, 100%. she wants to engage with with with, with 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 this guy, and she is going for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but these, so it's it would be really easy for this film to enact another kind of moralistic divide. <laughs> yes, between you know um between the sexuality being being bad and impure and wrong but actually it nuances things a lot more than that mm-hmm. um and the way that she uh dresses is never an invitation right the the agency is always with her as it should be yeah it's 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 a signifier of her identity and her power it it's not for us it's of her 
Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, and I, I think um, it would also be really easy for us as critics to to kind of dismiss Elvira as just being sultry or or just being kind of like comically revealing. Yeah, when, when in fact it goes much deeper than that, and it speaks to her power. Like, you know, I don't I don't know if um, these happen in the UK, but like like the, the, this attitude mirrors perfectly with like the the slut walk movement that happens a lot over here in the states yeah 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 and like like this was this was 1988 and elvira already on board yeah absolutely um the kind of closest comedic predecessor is probably something like the british carry-on films mm-hmm. and the carry-on films often have a kind of uh slightly misogynistic streak to them mm-hmm. u- using like uh the the women actors in it as kind of like sexual props you know they're used as the butt of jokes or they're used as as kind of um you know means to an end but because this film is centered on her it kind of can take that uh kind of joyful uh slightly filthy sense of humor and actually put it as integral to her firstly not something that is that she is used to for but something that she manages to wield, a power that she manages to exert and to, to have agency over. Yeah, yeah. The Elvira's uh, Elvira's breasts specifically are the butt of like countless jokes in this movie. There's her washing the car. There's the thing with the chain link fence. There's there's tons of innuendo and puns. But it's always worth pointing out that they are they're her jokes. That yes, in, in the context yes, of the film, they're not. They're not jokes about her. They're jokes of her. They're never yeah. degrading her as like a bimbo or something. They're 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 comic expressions of Elvira's character. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I feel I feel like we even see this in the framing of, of, of this film. Like 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 there's not all all of the gratuitous fan service is is flatly acknowledged in in this film. Like we don't get just kind of like with my bloody Valentine. We don't get the gratuitous fan service we've come to expect we get like a comical like oh here's what you're looking for but you're going to get it in the most asinine way possible yeah there's lots of very um subtle pull focus camera moves right yeah. <laughs> that that are designed to that that are designed to both attract your attention but also call attention to the fact that they're deliberately attracting your attention mm-hmm. <laughs> and like much in the same way that Elvira's kind of spiritual presence as as the uh, successor in this line of witches destroys the patriarchal force of this town, right? Yeah. In, in much much the same way that her her redo of the gaudy mansion changes the landscape and and kind of upends this kind of like puritanical sameness, right? Right? Uh, her her boobs, whether if they're not literally destroying uh, the, the chains that hold back a fence. They're they're like as iconographic items. If, if that's how I want to phrase this one, um, like like they're they're destroying a lot of this puritanical mindset. They're they're destroying this patriarchal force. It's it's you know, very I'm much really her glad. body, her power. Yeah, I'm really glad that this is going to be our last episode ever. <laughs> right, right. I mean, like if this, if this doesn't get us canceled at this point, what what will? Um, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. And um, there's also this this kind of amazing moment in the film where, like, her presence actually does liberate others uh, to kind of own and embrace their their sexual desire and their sexual agency. Because there's um, she goes to the to the town like B and B, the cozy cot, mm-hmm. and and runs into like the granddaughter of the owners, who's called Robin. And Robin is in trouble because she was caught wearing makeup. And she runs into Robin, who's like the granddaughter, I think, of the owners of the Cozy Cot, mm-hmm. which is like the town, the town motel, yeah, or the or the town B and B. And Robin's in trouble because she's been caught wearing makeup. Mm-hmm. And then, and um, Elvira sort of sympathizes with her, uh, but kind of points out that you know Robin is a little bit behind the game, yeah, compared to compared to her. 
And then you see Robin again at the midnight screening that Elvira is hosting. And she's got her hair done in that like a classic 80s mm-hmm. blowout. Yep. She's got her full face of makeup on. She's dressed up. She's next to the cute boy that she's been interested in. And it's like, you're like, yeah, good. Good for you. Right? This is exactly this is exactly what you should be doing. Yeah, Elv- Elvira is 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 giving people their agency back through her her kind of like comical over exaggerated agency yeah uh i'm genuinely impressed that you managed to bring kind of some academic discourse out of this topic uh it's blown us away how people have really loved what we've tried to do we're going to start looking at seeing if we can arrange uh, to use this platform to let other people come on and share their stories and their insight and their knowledge. So if you know of any uh, leftists who are horror fans, you know of anyone who you think would have interesting things to say, please let us know. We're going to be drawing up a list of people um, that we would love to get on the show. Uh, and so please do send names our way. But thank you once more for uh, listening to the show. Um, And we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in, creeps and comrades. And remember, stay Stay spooky. spooky.